What we're going to do is we're going to read a parallel passage to what we touched on last week in Mark 3. But we're going to read the parallel passage to it and then we're going to dig into it some more. So Luke chapter 8 beginning in verse 16. No one when he has lit a lamp covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed but sets it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed. Nor is anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore, take heed how you hear. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he seems to have will be taken from him. Then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some who said, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. That's the verse we want to dig into today. Verse 21, my brothers and mother are these who hear the word of God and do it. It's the same thing we saw in Mark chapter 3 verse 35 last week. When this same passage, parallel passage. Where it said your mother and brothers and sisters. He said this is, this is it right here. This is my mother, my brothers, my sisters here. So let me ask you. Is this just some kind of PR hype? Really overstated? To try to encourage us to put up with other Christians? I don't think so. Because Jesus is the first one to use this family language. And then the New Testament picks up on that lead and runs with it all through the New Testament. You can find this kind of language in all 13 letters to the local churches around the then known world. Family. 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 And if you're paying attention at all as you read your Bible, how much of it? All of it. You will see a shift You'll see a shift from the Old Testament to the New Testament regarding what it emphasizes. You will see a shift more from the biological or home family to church family of God that is significant from Old Testament to New Testament. That it doesn't emphasize, it gives instruction regarding parenting and marriage, but it doesn't lift up and emphasize like it does family of God Mom, dad, and 2.4 children as what matters most. You say, what about marriage, Brad? Isn't that that institution that, that we say, oh man, there's something mysterious there and precious there. And that's one flesh. There's one. Yes, 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 yes. But even marriage, even marriage was designed to depict something greater and better our bridegroom, Jesus Christ, and us as his bride, the family of God. Now, this may shock some of you, but did you know marriage will not exist in heaven? Now, some of you are like, praise God. So that's when this ends. And some of you are like, oh, but I love her so. However that struck you, either way, it's not like we know, won't know each other. So don't freak out like, I'll never see her. No, no. 
It's just that there'll be no need for it because it was always designed to give you a foretaste and to be a picture of something better and greater. And when that has arrived, there's no need for that to continue. So even marriage that is very special, don't get me wrong. I've been here over 20 years and we've done several marriage sermon series because this is a very important relationship. But it's not the most important relationship. I I would say to you, this series now about the family of God, now we're actually talking about something greater and better that is going to last, how long? Forever. So here's my first point, the way I would put it to you. Your church family is the only family that's going to last forever. Even regarding marriage, listen to what John Piper says. He says, quote, marriage and family are temporary for this age. I'm declaring the radical biblical truth that being in a human family is no sign of eternal blessing. But being in God's family means being eternally blessed. Relationships based on family are temporary. Relationships based on union with Christ are eternal. Marriage is a temporary institution, but what it stands for lasts forever. And so the Mormons, while I appreciate their emphasis on family, get it wrong again. They get it wrong on a lot of things, but here's one they get wrong. I appreciate the emphasis, but when they talk about a special baptism at a special temple, that means if you do that, you will be married. I don't know if you know this. But I know it from sitting on a plane next to a Mormon because this is what he's most excited about. They've been baptized in that super special way at a super special temple. So now he and his wife will be married forever on into eternity. And he's had all his children do this so that they will be a family. There's only one that's walked away and hasn't had that baptism. And it breaks his heart. His greatest concern is that he wants to see his entire family, as in mom, dad, kids, be together forever. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches something better and greater that family and marriage and parenting was intended to depict and give you a foretaste of simply. But now, let me go ahead and point to the elephant in the room, right? What some of you might be thinking, okay, this forever family Right now, that matters most. Here's my second point. Right now, this forever family of God is made up of sinners who are already called saints. Are they called saints? Does numerous letters open to the saints at Ephesus, to the saints at Philippi, to the saints of the... Yes, but they are... Sinners who are already called saints and have a new identity, all true. But their sin keeps showing up in some really painful ways. Am I just the only one? Has anybody else run into the sin of sinner saints in the family of God? I bet you have. Because that's often the complaint. I don't have people complain to me about the local church saying, I left because of the doctrine. Every now and then. What's the number one thing I hear? I left because somebody did me wrong. Somebody hurt me. Somebody disappointed me. Somebody failed me. It's the sin 
that still remains with sinner saints that is what's difficult. And here's the thing you need to understand. Some of you know it precisely because you've been there. The sins of sinner saints who have a new identity smells no better than regular sin. And it hurts no less than regular sin. In fact, sometimes it hurts more because you weren't expecting it to happen here. That's why it's a mistake to just go on and on about. We are just saints. Well, don't say the word sinner. That's so gone. I wish it's not gone. What's gone is you can't say you can't do better than that. We are no longer slaves to sin. And you have a new identity in Christ that frees you to be filled with the Holy Spirit and say no to that sin. You don't have to keep being that selfish and that stubborn and that bitter and that jealous and that whatever. But oh my goodness, read Romans 7. It'll be a battle. You still have this flesh to contend with. You have a new identity, you've been forgiven, you're filled with the Spirit. But the moment you lose sight of, I'm a saint and I'm still a sinner that needs to do battle with my own sin is not a good day. I love how Jerry Bridges puts it. We use Jerry Bridges a lot, several different books here. Disciplines of Grace, he says this about this very subject. Well, let me ask a question before I read that. So, for those of us in the family of God that have been saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, set free from condemnation, are we sinners or are we saints? You're a good group. Yes. The first service told you, didn't they? Yes, it's both. It's both. Jerry Bridges says this, quote, We should always view ourselves both in terms of what we are in Christ, that is, saints, and what we are in ourselves, namely, sinners. While we should always rejoice in the righteousness we have in Christ, we should never cease to feel deeply our own sinfulness. If we refuse to identify ourselves as sinners as well as saints... We risk the danger of deceiving ourselves about our sin and becoming like the self-righteous Pharisee. So is there any hope? Is there any good news in this? Oh, yes, 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 yes. That's what the bulk of the New Testament is all about, you guys. The letters to the churches. He almost always takes one or two or three chapters up front to remind them who they are in Christ, new identity. And then the second half of the letter will end up doing what? Addressing all kinds of problems they're still having with each other because they're still sinners and saying, biblically, here's how you should walk through that. There's great hope because the New Testament actually tells us, even though you're still a sinner and a saint with a new identity, you are enabled by God's grace to live in some very supernatural ways. Now, not one day, someday, you have the capacity to live in a supernatural way way as we interact with each other in the family of God. And so that's what I want to do with the rest of the time that remains. I want to answer this question. I want to answer this question. What does being a forever family look like right now, this side of heaven? And to get our answers, we're going to jump around in the New Testament. So if you don't have a Bible, just go ahead and make a sad face. Sad. You're going to wish you had a Bible so you can go there. We're going to jump around in the New Testament to get some of our answers. And the first place I want you to go is Romans 12. Romans 12, we're going to look at verses 9 to 16. Romans 12, 
What does the New Testament say about how sinner saints can relate to each other? What would it look like in this forever family? Romans 12, beginning in verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor. Giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. Distributing to the needs of the saints. Given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Here's the first thing I want you to notice about what it means to be a forever family of God and how he's called us to relate in ways that apart from the grace of God and the spirit of God, we could never do on our own. Number one, God's called us to love each other deeply and intensely even when you don't feel it. Oh, there's going to be sometimes you don't feel it. He's called us to love each other Deeply and intensely. The way God wants us to love deeply one another just jumps off the page in verses 9 to 10 of Romans 12. You say, Brad, how so? Listen, here's what the Holy Spirit has done to drive this home to us. And it's striking. Those two little verses, verse 9 and 10, there's four different Greek words for love that have different nuance. He has packed three of the four Greek words for love All into those two verses, 9 and 10. Two words into verse 9. Just two words into verse 9. He throws down the granddaddy of all Greek words for love. Anybody know what it is? Agape. Let agape be without hypocrisy. Agape love. In the Greek was talking about a strong, a strong non-sexual affection for someone else that is characterized by a willingness to lay aside your own rights and privileges for the good of somebody else. Woo! Do you wake up every day ready to do that? Like, that is my default setting. Let me lay aside me today. Let, ooh. And it, that is the word that is used for how God loves us all through the New Testament. Agape love. Let me say it again. A strong, non-sexual affection. But notice it's not a feeling, right? It's not like, oh, I'm feeling it. How would I know? What characterizes it? Oh, it's characterized By a willingness to lay aside your own rights. What I think I deserve and and privileges for the good of somebody else. What what, I hope what's coming to your mind right now is is that is the very way in Philippians 2 that it talks about how Christ loved us. When it says in Philippians 2 that he took on flesh 
laid aside his rights and privileges as God, taking on the form of a servant, and he humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross. That's the kind of love that God calls us to demonstrate towards one another. Not in your home. I hope it does show up there. But this passage is talking to the family of God, which is which family? How long is it going to last forever? Oh, shoot. There you go. That's going to last forever. It's talking about this family. Agape. But he's not done. In verse 10, it's like, he just, he just cannot find enough ways to press on us that he's not talking about a superficial, hypocritical, here today, gone tomorrow kind of love that's just based on a feeling. No. Verse 10, he uses two more Greek words to just pile it on to say, this is what I'm talking about. And it's those phrases, be kindly affectionate to one another. <gasps> he's not done. With brotherly Love, the kindly affectionate to one another is our English translation for the Greek word for love that was philostorge, that was the love that is seen between parents and children. I don't know about you, but that's tight. I never knew I could love someone. I, I do love Vicky. I do. There's something about children, though. You didn't know you could hurt that bad. You didn't know you could care that much. This parental, and I'm told, grandchildren, whole nother level. I look forward to that. But this, even in a world that is so broken, where love seems so sucked out of the universe, don't we still see glimpses of it? Most often when we finally find something to point to, say, but there's still some love. It's that parental love, especially mother, for her children. He says, bring that to the house of God. That kind of love, fill a story. Be kindly, affectionate to one another. And then the phrase brotherly love is the English translation for the Greek word Philadelphia. That was referring to the love you see. And I know they fight. I have five kids and they fought a lot. But I'm telling you what, one of the things that people say today Oh, man, your kids love each other. They do. I'm glad they didn't kill each other because now they can demonstrate loving each other. Philadelphia is the love you see between siblings or brothers and sisters. God is saying there's four Greek words for love. The only one he doesn't stuff into verses 9 and 10 for us as the family of God is eros. That is a sexual romantic love. He says you can leave that at the door. But bring agape. Bring philostorge. Bring Philadelphia right here. To the family of God. Don't push that all in. Oh that's for my real family. That's how I relate to a spouse. Or you guys. God's word says bring it here. Kindly affectionate. Strong affection demonstrated by laying aside your rights and privileges for the good of another. Sibling love, parental love here in the forever family of God. Those phrases are just carry enormous freight as to how we're supposed to relate to each other. But let me say, here's another reason that this is ramped up to the degree that it is. 
Jesus himself said, we got to get this, folks, in a day that is getting more hostile, in a day that is getting more confused and off course from what would actually be good for people. Oh, I know. I feel it, too. Oh, I better have answers for transgender. Oh, I better have answers for answers for answers for. I hope you do read some and try. But let me help you take a deep breath. Do you know what Jesus said would be the greatest apologetic? The greatest apologetic that would get the world's attention as to what is going on there? Should I even consider? Should I listen to this Jesus thing? John 13, a new commandment I give you. That you do amazing end time charts. And that you take spiritual gift tests. And that you, no, no. That you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you love one another. And then he says, by this, say it with me, by this, not something else, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. He doesn't say by this, by your ginormous biological families with lots of kids that have biblical names like Jedediah and Obadiah and the fact that you're on a piece of land and you pull away from everybody and you don't really want anything to do with the local church because it's all about us and our real family. He doesn't say that. In fact, as you do that, the apologetic is lost, folks. It's when we stay together so different and they say, you like concrete, you like open spaces, you like eating fast food and something right out of a box and I don't care if I die early. You grow your own stuff and we're going paleo and all. It's when we all, some of you were offended by Sister Sledge. Some of you loved it. Hallelujah. We're supposed to stay together and then the world says, I can't figure out. See, listen, folks. The world knows how to get along in affinity groups when you just kind of huddle off with, we all have the same interests and we all really, that's easy. When you love each other and he's drawing people from all these different walks and ways, the world says, what is that? By this, they'll know you're my disciples. But see, it's hard. It's hard to keep loving like Romans 12, 9, and 10. For the good of another, lay aside your rights, parental love, sibling love. And then you get hurt. You think, whoa. You get disappointed. You think, whoa. Someone fails you and you think, okay, that happens at work. That's not supposed to happen here. And the danger is, listen to me, to think, I'm not going to get hurt again. And the best way to do that is to pull back and be guarded. Either remove yourself altogether or stay, but you are not risking anything. I will not open up again. I won't really love again. Let me help you. If you were listening to my definition of biblical love from Scripture, by its very definition, it makes you vulnerable and puts you at risk. So the moment you decide I will never be hurt again is also the moment you put yourself on a path that I'll never truly be able to love again. And I don't think that's what you want. You become someone very different than who you meant to be and who God's called us to be. C.S. Lewis, as only he can do, describes the problem so well. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says about this love. There is no safe investment. He's not talking about mutual funds. He's talking about love, investing in other people. There is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. 
Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or the coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, unredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all dangers and perturbations, just a big word for agitations from other people, is hell. More than once, and I can fully relate, especially once you have older, young adult children, I've had a mother especially meet with me and say, Pastor Brad, I think I know the answer, but I just need to hear you say it. Am I allowed to stop loving her? Not, you, you, those of you with young kids and you think, oh, the three-year-old's driving me nuts. I don't have three-year-old, mothers of three-year-olds saying, can I stop loving her? She's still pudgy and cute. Yeah, she made a mess, but you're Instagramming it. Look at that, isn't that funny? When they get to young adults, it's not funny what they're doing. And yes, it's out there, but you didn't post it. They did. And you're like, mercy, God of the heavens, would you stop showing everything stupid you're doing? It's very hard. You hurt. And you just think, so here's what's really going on. It would hurt less if I didn't love them. Does that make sense? Right? It hurts so bad because you love them so much. But the answer is no, it's not okay. And everyone's been okay with it as I've said it each time. No. You have to keep loving them. But it hurts, which means you get to keep hurting because you love. But look what else is is going on here in Romans 12 that God calls us to in the family of God. God calls us to rejoice with those who rejoice and sorrow with those who sorrow in the family of God as if it was our very own joy or sorrow. It's not just the people with the last name Bigney that I get excited about when something good happens to them or they succeed or... I re- you, you rejoice With others in the family of God, you care. You See, your joys are multiplied when you're plugged into the family of God. But so are your sorrows. Because you give your heart in both directions. Oh, you care and you love. And so it's not just your own. But when you see another brother or sister going through something so hard and so heavy. And you can't take it away. You can't, and this is not just pastors. I hope you feel this as you care for each other in small groups. And you know each other. That you just think, oh, if I could fix that, I would. But I can't. I, I, and this is not to toot my own horn. This is just, I know many of you are experiencing this and we're supposed to. I lie awake at night. Not just over things for people who have the last name Bigney. But for some of you, what I know you're going through, what I just learned about, what I, oh, and if I could make it go away or I could fix it, I would, but I can't and I care. The only alternative also for pastors and the rest of you to not hurt and to not have it wake you is to not care. But that's not the answer. And so your joys are multiplied. 
and you're sorry, and, and don't make a mistake in verse 15 there where it says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with them. That word weep is not just feel a little bad. Hey, sorry about that. The word meant in the Greek to wail, to wail and express out loud great sorrow. To help you out here, it's the same word that was used to describe Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus in John eleven thirty five, when it says Jesus wept. That didn't mean he just stood there and felt a little bad thinking, I know I'm going to raise him anyway, so whatever. Nope. He wailed, expressed externally great sorrow. Being in the family of God and loving intensely and caring means we rejoice with those who rejoice. Their joys are our joys. Their sorrows are our sorrows. Why? Because we're family. We're family. Now, I need you to jump over to Colossians 3 to get this next characteristic of the family of God. Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to look at something radical So there's already this love that's supposed to be an apologetic for how the world would say, oh my goodness, what is going on there? You don't see that every day. It's not based on affinity. It's not based on what is up. But folks, I'm going to show you something that is just as radical to the world. In fact, they don't understand it. In fact, it's one of the reasons they think we're crazy when they see it go down and say, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. You shouldn't even do that. What are you doing? Look at Colossians 3, beginning in verse 12. Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. Now, let me help you here because here's an example of that sinner saint thing. You're a saint. You're forgiven. You have a new identity. Guess what? You still have the same old flesh. And that word put on, you'll see it throughout the New Testament regularly. Guess whose choice it is to put on something different? Yours, it's not automatic. Just like I had to go to my closet last night and thumb through shirts and decide what would look good with Sister Sledge, we are family, on Sunday. I chose to put this on. He says, put on tender mercies. If you don't choose it, you could in many ways keep living in ways just like you used to. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another. Well, why would that be there? There's no need for that phrase unless there's going to be some stuff that's going to happen between you and the family of God that it's going to be hard. You're going to be tempted to hit the exit door and say, I didn't sign up for this. Bearing with one another. Oh, but there's more. If anyone has a complaint against another, it's almost like the Holy Spirit anticipated something might happen bad. Yeah. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also might ponder for years before you pull the trigger and decide, I'm going to forgive. But right now, I've got to think about it. Now, what's it say? So, so you also say it. Say it again. Must do. You say, Brad, Why? Well, here's my next point. We forgive each other as if all of our own sins have already, past, present, future, been forgiven. Because they have. Sometimes I want to just run around the church and just shake people. 
Have you forgotten you've been forgiven? Not just a few sins that were leading up to when you prayed the prayer and asked Jesus in your heart at 18, but everything past that is piled up and it's against you. You were forgiven all your sins. Say, thank you, Lord. But the way he's called us to demonstrate our gratitude is by how we forgive others. Because we've been forgiven. Because we've been forgiven. And see, here's what you need to understand. These two things go hand in hand. That intense love that we just lifted up from Romans 12, 9 and 10. Kiss it goodbye. Unless you're ready to forgive. Don't get excited about Romans 12, 9 and 10 and say, you know what? I haven't ever seen that quite like that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this love thing. I'm going to do that. I'm going to bring it. Agape, Philostorge, Philadelphia. But if you still have a default setting of, but don't expect me to forgive anybody who hurts me or disappoints me. Kiss, love, goodbye. Love, biblical love can only stay alive. As you practice forgiveness. There's no hope for it apart from forgiveness. Listen to me. Think about it. And some of you know this because of the marriage that you're in right now. Did you love each other? I mean, we don't live in India. Nobody made you do this. Gun to the head. Marry her. Oh, but I don't want to. And now here you are. It's as bad as I ever thought. You chose her. You chose him. There was love. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. Sin. But more than that, lack of forgiveness. Great, listen, great marriages. You see somebody you think has a great marriage? Great marriages are not what they are just because they love each other so well. There is that. Great marriages are what they are because they also forgive each other so often and fully and freely and from the heart. That was weak. But the people that have been married two decades, three decades, four decades, they know what I'm talking about. Don't look around and say, well, they found the right person. We're just so different. Welcome to different. You married a sinner. It will be hard and you better be ready to forgive or love will die. He says, love each other. So the world will say, what is that? And then he says, forgive each other. Because when you forgive, you... The gospel's right at the heart of forgiveness. And when they say, that's nuts, that's crazy. And there's this concern. That's saying that what they did wasn't wrong. When you forgive someone, you're not saying what they did wasn't wrong. Because when God forgives us, is he saying, oh, all that stuff you did wasn't wrong. No. You forgive in spite. And that's what makes it so powerful. And such a, an attention getter in our world. How could you do that? As a believer, you say, how could I not? I've been forgiven how much? All my sins. So I forgive. I forgive. I forgive. We forgive each other as if we've already been forgiven all of our sins. Because listen, when it's family, and this is family. When it's family and you leave it broken and awkward It's just really, really awkward, isn't it? I mean, it's one thing to have a falling out with somebody, say, in a store. I hope you don't do these things, but you see it go down. You think, whatever, I don't have to ever see them again. Or somebody at work that works on the 10th floor that you rarely have interactions with, that's awkward. If I ever run into them again, that'll be awkward. 
when it's your family. You're going to see them like, oh, I don't know, every day. That's really, really awkward when you leave it broken. I've been married 30, going on 31 years, and I am miserable when things are not right between me. Being married a long time doesn't mean, oh, we've been married so long, we can just let things go. <laughs> no. When things aren't right, I'm, the longer I'm married and have tasted of what it's supposed to be like, the more miserable you are when it's not. Recently, Vicky, just two weekends ago, this is not like, let me tell you a story from 10 years ago, two weekends ago, came to me privately in the bedroom to tell me something about me. Imagine that. In the way she'd seen something that went down in the kitchen with my youngest, Sarah, who's 17, and how I interacted with her and handled the situation, and she didn't think it was loving. She really didn't think it was loving. She was worked up, mother's, sobbing kind of and I'd like to say that I received that well but I didn't I pushed back I defended I stated my position I declared it again I tried to shut her down and it ended awkwardly and poorly with her crying and then she had an appointment she had to go to so we couldn't even make this right she drives off I'm left in our bedroom on the love seat where the no love is left Licking my wounds and, and rehearsing my rightness and all the misunderstanding of this whole thing. And, but the Holy Spirit, praise God there is a Holy Spirit, began to work and said, she's right and you're wrong. Tell her that. Tell her she's right and you're wrong. Make this right. Now, again, first thought was, ooh, pride's just like, no, it's not going down that way. No, 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 no. But when finally I yielded, doesn't it feel good? She's not even home yet. Just the decision that I'm going to make it right felt so good. And when she came back, I grabbed her and I said, please forgive me. I was wrong. You were right. Thank you for telling me something about me that I wasn't seeing. Because then she showed it was a pattern. She said, there was this deal with Garrett a few days before. And now there's this. And she was gracious. This is not like you normally. But look. I said, please forgive me. Thank you. Then when Sarah came home from wherever, I said, please forgive me, Sarah. I was wrong the way I talked to you. And even as I thought about it, it was like, she handled that so well. She's 17 and this happened in the kitchen. And, and uh, even as I was doing what I was doing, she's like, very calmly, okay, dad, all right. Like, just say you don't want me to go. And then I responded as if she'd pushed back because I was just kind of already in a mode. You know what I mean? It's like, I just, have you ever had an outer body experience? Like you're watching yourself. It's like, that ain't good, but, but we've already gone. It's like... I just kept, because we're not that family and it's not going to go down like that. And then Vicky's like, we don't ever do that. Yeah, but it only takes once. And then there you go. We'll be like other families. We're not going to do that. This is not how we roll. She just kept saying, dad, it's okay. If you don't want me to, just say you don't want me to. I said, you were so meek and so humble and you received that so well. I wasn't, wasn't loving. Please forgive me. And it felt so, say it, good, good. Oh, my goodness. And it's an apologetic to our world as we in the family of God practice the same thing. It was never meant, oh, good news, our church family's so big, we got multiple services. That's not as awkward. I'm just never going where Sally is. Sally goes to 815. I don't want to see Sally. I love Jesus, but I'm so done with Sally. So we're 945. Is that why so many of you are right here in this middle service? Would you forgive and get in one of those other services? <laughs> that just feels good. We forgive each other. 
And that all ties closely to one final point that I want to make. That is, that is fairly different in our world. Go a couple pages back. If you're still in Colossians 3, go to Ephesians 4. And let me show you this about the family of God that is very different. I hope a lot of this has sounded different. That we love laying aside our rights and privileges for the good of another. What? We rejoice and weep as though the sorrows and joys were our own. We forgive as if we've been forgiven everything because we have. And look at this one. Ephesians 4, 15. Speaking the truth. How? In love. May grow up in all things. Into him who is the head, Christ. Oh, listen to me. We always think about spiritual growth, and I I hope you do. We want to be growing and changing, becoming more like Jesus. And we tend to usually think, I'll read a good book. I'll get a study Bible. I'm in a church that does biblical preaching. Yes, 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 yes. But do you know another way that God's word tells us the family of God actually grows up to become more like Christ? Verse 15 says, speaking the truth in love. He's talking about to one another. Jump down to verse 25, and you'll see that that is what he's talking about, because look at verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, each one speak truth with his neighbor. And we know he's not talking about your next-door neighbor on your street, because look at the next phrase. For we are, what? Members of one another. We're members of the same family. And therefore, we speak the truth to each other, Because my own spiritual growth is not the only growth I care about. You say, Brad, what are you talking about? When you notice something about a brother or sister in Christ that you think they're not seeing and you love them, you're willing to go and risk the relationship and and possibly an awkward moment to speak to them. When you pull back and say, I'm not going to do that. Who are you loving? Me. Me. Speak the truth in love to one another. Let me give you an example of what Ephesians 4 is talking about. Because I'll never forget the first time I was on the receiving end of what Ephesians 4 is talking about. I served for 10 years at another church in South Carolina before I moved here on staff. And there was this elder in the church that was just known for love. I mean, love, love. He was one of the most loving people you'd ever get around. He really was. So his nickname was, his name was Mike, but his nickname was the Apostle of Love. The Apostle of Love. And when you see, he'd say, Mike loves you. Bo loves you. His wife was Bo. Jesus loves you. I mean, just love. It was just a love fest. And one Sunday, I was the youth guy. So mainly, I just taught out in the parking lot in a modular trailer, the youth. And every now and then, we get to teach big people. And on this Sunday, I was teaching his adult three Sunday school class. And he was such a loving man and a gifted Bible teacher that his class was so big, it met in the sanctuary. And, and so I had taught his class the day before, adult three Sunday school. And the apostle of love called me on Monday. And when I picked up the phone, he said, Brad, I love you. And I knew he did because he had encouraged me so many times. But then the next thing he said made me feel sick. He said, but Sunday, as you were teaching, this is not like you. It doesn't characterize you, but you just seemed acutely aware of you and caught up with you and really taken with you as you taught. Now, I'm feeling sick like I want to throw up and I'm wishing this was not even happening. I think I'm being rebuked. 
by the apostle of love. But you know what else happened? The Holy Spirit brought to my mind and I thought, I do remember thinking about me. There, there were pews. As I walked back and forth in front of those pews, I just remember really more than ever before thinking, this is my lesson and these are points that I'm bringing and an illustration I have and I'm teaching adult three right here. It's going down big in the sanctuary and I'm teaching God's word. Now, I, I thought that was just me. Guess what? That must have come through. And I suspect it was perceived by more than just the apostle of love. But one person called me, loved me enough. And obviously, I'm telling you this today, I hadn't forgotten it. And when I hung up, I thanked him. And I got on my knees at this chair and I said, oh God, I love teaching the Bible. And I did, and I still do. But I don't ever want to do that again. Help me. I still pray. I'd like to say I've never crossed the line again. I'm sure I have. But I bet I haven't as much as if no one had the love or courage to point that out. Now, please know, the example of Ephesians 4 that I have, the only one I have is not decades ago. Pastor Peter. Yeah, him. And others in our church have come to me in the 21 years I've been here and told me things about me. It always starts with, I love you. Then you know, oh, this is going somewhere else because you don't. <laughs> I, I love you, but in the elders meeting, you may not have noticed or been aware, but you in our. And people have told me things about me that have helped me grow. We say, oh, God, I want to grow this year. And we think it's going to be an in-depth Bible study. It might. And then God sends people to tell you about you and you're like, what is going on? One of God's favorite ways to tell us about us. It's through other people, especially those closest to you. But now, in the minutes that I have left, hold that thought because I want to I give a caveat, a disclaimer, another biblical principle to hold in tension with this because some of you just got really excited. And you're like, this is my spiritual gift. I love telling other people what's wrong with them. I can do this. Stop all the gift assessment. I have found mine. All of the rest, you can do mercy and serving and all that. I'll take care of this. Single-handedly, I love telling people what's wrong with them. And now I have my verse. (sighs) Let me show you a biblical principle to hold in tension with speak the truth in love. 1 Peter 4.8. But above all things, above all things, including speaking the truth in love, have fervent love For one another. Why? He's going to tell us. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Like Brad, that is very confusing. So which is it? Do I go and speak it or do I cover it? You need the Holy Spirit to help you discern. Here's how I would say it to you. That Greek word. So Peter's already used that agape word twice in one verse. 1 Peter 4, 8, twice. And if it wasn't enough, he put the word fervent in front of agape. And the word fervent is that word that means a horse that is stretched out and straining in full gallop. Here's the picture I want you to have. Our first. So yes, because of love and it's the family of God, we speak to other people instead of directly and tell them. 
instead of talking about them to others. Oh, the, the messes that could be solved if people practice that. We love enough to tell them. Mike could have called around the church and said, can you believe how arrogant Brad seemed on Sunday? I don't think he talked to anybody else. He talked to me. That was loving. But here's the balancing principle. Because of love, our first thought is a check in our spirit to say, wait a minute. I'm going to assume the best. I'm not going to conclude something horrible. And I'm going to see if I can just cover that with love. Love's first thought is to let it go before you go. And so I want you to picture a horse. When I'm offended, when I feel like I've been sinned against, when I've been... My first, first thing is to saddle up the stallion of love and just gallop across that. Say, whoo, spank his flank. We can just gallop across that. I'm not going to assume the worst. That's not how they usually come across. I don't know what was going on, but spank his flank. We can cover that with love in a full gallop. And if you can't, and it keeps coming up, or it's a pattern. Vicky pointed out a pattern for me. Then you go. Does that make sense? Oh. Do you see how radical this is for the family of God? Bring it here. Intense family love, parent love. Bring it here. Weep and rejoice together here. Forgive each other here. And speak the truth to each other here. In the family of God. One thing I want to point out before I close. How are you going to be able to do that? How can you keep doing that? How can you keep rejoicing and weeping and risking and giving and forgiving? Look in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Really, right at the end of verse 1, it's amazing. There are two words plopped down at the end of verse 1 that are a game changer. Game changer. Do you see the two words? Dear children. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Spread, what's your point? The reason we struggle to love is often because we're so uncertain as to whether we are loved. And I need it so badly from you. That's why I'm so shaken when I don't get it. He says you are his dear child. And that, I know that, that word doesn't grip you like I wish it did in, in English. So let me help you. It's the word agapitas. And it means to be dearly loved and cherished to the point of being preferred And giving special treatment. If you're still not getting it. That word dear is the same Greek word. That was used in in Matthew 3.17. To describe Jesus. When the father said. This is my dear son. In whom I. God thinks. And talks about you. Like he does his son. When you don't need other people's love. So desperately. It doesn't hurt so badly when you don't get it. When you know, I'm loved, cherished, delighted in, preferred by God. It frees me up to risk and boldly be a channel of love to this broken world, starting in the family that's going to last forever. Oh God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truths of what it means to be a family of God. Thank you for the supernatural help you give us by the Holy Spirit and your word and prayer and one another. We're not perfect. But, oh God, may even our sinfulness put on display your grace and the gospel 